together tonight in the Old Testament to the prophecy of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is the fourth to the last book in the Old Testament. We'll be reading together chapter 3 of Zephaniah and the portion of scripture will be the verses 16 and 17. Our title tonight is He will joy over thee with singing. Uh, Before we read the chapter, Zephaniah, a short prophecy, three chapters, just a few words about Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet who prophesied in the times of Josiah, who was the last God-fearing king of Judah. So that puts him about 25 years before Jerusalem will be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah. His prophecy is a rebuke for the apostasy of God's people of his day, especially in turning from God to the worship of idols. And if you want a definition of what is it, what is what do we mean by apostasy, the spiritual falling away, If you look at the second verse of chapter 3 of Zephaniah, she, and that's the church, or Jerusalem, obeyed not the voice, the voice, that's God's voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. That's what we mean. That is what is meant by apostasy. The theme of this prophecy is the day of the Lord, and that day of the Lord is going to be referred to in our chapter whenever he says, in that day, or whenever we read in this chapter, for then I will, or at that time, he's referring to the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is simply the day of Jesus. For Zephaniah, it meant the day when Judah would be returned to Jerusalem, but the day of the Lord is when God arises to fulfill his promises in Jesus Christ. And then the last thing, as we read the third chapter, I'll give just a little outline for us as we read it. The first seven chapters are going to be a summary of all that he said in the prophecy of the sins of the church. Uh, Verse 8 is going to be a declaration of judgment upon the nations at the end of the world. And then verses 9 through 20 will be the great and precious promises of God to them that love him. God's word in Zephaniah chapter 3, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bone till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, 
but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations, their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, and none passed by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. I said, surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction. So their dwellings should not be cut off, howsoever I punish them. But they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people of a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring my offering in that day. Shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me? For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, Let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes. Seth, the Lord. May God sanctify his word to our hearts. Verses 16 and 17 for tonight. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thy hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing.
These words of our text are some of the most beautiful words that you will ever hear from God on this side of the grave. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he was taken up to receive revelations in heaven, says that he heard things at that time which were not lawful for a man to speak. What we will hear when we stand before him face to face remains to be heard. But until that time, you will not hear a more beautiful word from God than this word of our text. He tells you that he rejoices over you with singing. He tells you that he loves the church, that he loves the church right here in Linden, that he loves his church wherever she is established, upon the rock of his truth and word, that when he sees you, he sings as you would sing when your heart is happy. He says when he sees you, he sings out of the joy of his heart. I saw this verse maybe 15 or 16 years ago. It struck me at a wedding that I was asked to perform at a Christian Reformed church and in the narthex was a podium with a Bible open with these verses highlighted under glass so that everybody who entered into that church, their eyes were directed to the verses of our text. And I thought, how appropriate. We come to this house of God tonight to rejoice over him and to sing of him and to bring him praise. And that's true. But these verses remind us that when we come before his face, he sings in the joy of his own heart as he sees his church, as he sees you redeemed in the blood of his dear son. God joys in singing over his church. I thought that this would be very appropriate, a very fit word of God to bring a very fit word of God to bring because the church has gone through many struggles and many trials. And that's true for our whole denomination in the past three or four years. The Lord has proved and tested us as silver tried by fire. He has brought us to many sorrows. This verse is reminding us that though as a church we have many weaknesses and sins, this verse is reminding us of how God looks at the church. And he does not look as we so often look. Children and young people, if you are ever to see the church here or anywhere, you can't see them with these or understand them with this. You can only see it when you see the church through the lens of God's heart as that people that he has chosen and loves in Jesus Christ. 
My father, some of you might have met him, my father was a man of few words, but what he taught me, I remember, and he would tell me, boy, be very careful what you say about the church. He was not defending error or sin in the church that they must not be addressed, but he was reminding me that God loves the church. He taught me, we cannot say, I love God and not love the church. We cannot say, I love Christ and not love those who belong to him. Now this particular verse, these verses are very striking in all of the scriptures and perhaps we were not fully acquainted with them before. They are, first of all, as far as I know, unique in all of scripture. Of the 66 books of the Bible, there is only one verse that says that God sings. And there is only one object over which God sings, his church. The Bible says that God rejoices over his people, that God takes pleasure in his people. The Bible says that he gives for his people in his church names of love, Hepzibah, my delight in it is her, Beulah, married one, but there's only one verse that I know of that says that he joys over the church with singing, that his heart has such joy that when he sees the church, he begins to sing. The verse is deeply humbling over us, over me, over this congregation, over people like us, knowing our sins. Yes, as he sees us in the grace that he has given and what he has done for us. And finally, before we begin, I would have you look at the verse, its structure, and see especially verse 17 is climatic, or that the singing is at the top of the scale of wonderful things. It's something like the Apostles' Creed that we confessed tonight when we said, we believe that he rose the third day. What is more, he ascended into heaven. What is still even more, he is exalted to the right hand of God. What is still more, he is coming again to judge the earth. So the verse is structured that way. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. Is there anything greater than that? Well, listen. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He has joy in saving us. Well, is there anything greater than that? Well, he will rest in his love. He is contented in himself, in his love for his people. Well, there can't be anything greater than that. He will joy over thee with singing. I call your attention to he will joy, God's joy over you with singing. And the three points that will follow tonight are that this is an amazing song, that this is a salvation song, and that this is a wedding 
or a love song. So listen to the words and think about them. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. God's song arises out of the joy that is in his heart over his church. And his song is his expression of the joy that he has in his church. This song is not a lament. It's not a lament like Psalm 137 when the people of Judah were required to sing to, the, to Babylon a song of Zion and they could not. Their songs were lament of sorrow. This song is not a call to battle. It's not something like Gideon, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. But this song is a song of pleasure, a song of delight that God has in his church. You sing in your heart and with your mouth when you are happy to express that happiness so perfectly God over the church. There's a verse that is very similar to this one. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. Jeremiah 32, and we're going to look at verse 41. But if you just scan down the verses with me, we have the precious promises of God in Jeremiah 32, beginning at verse 37. He says that, I will gather you out of all countries. He takes his church as a universal church. Verse 38, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verse 39, I will give them one heart and one way. He will work unity. Verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them. And then verse 41, read the words along with me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. When God does something, he does it with his whole heart and with his whole soul. He's not singing this song looking to the ground. He's not mumbling his words. But with his holy heart, as the holy, perfect, thrice pure God, with all of his being, when he says, with my whole heart and my whole soul, he's using there an anthropomorphism. He's using a human reference. God does technically not have a heart or a soul. He means with his whole being, with the whole being of God in all that he is, when he sees his church, he sings. This tells us the source of his joy. It's in himself and in his grace through Christ to his church. 
And that tells us that as he sings, he has taught us a song to sing in response. This is a responsive song that we sing. And we sing Psalm 115, not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Do we say secretly and sometimes openly in our words when we are told that God sings over us do we say well of course if he's going to sing over anybody he probably would sing about me about what I have done or of this church if he has anything good to sing he'd certainly be singing over us is that what we say then we need to go back to verse 11 of the prophecy when God says that in that day I will take out of thee, out of the church, then that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. He's referring to what Jeremiah addressed, that the people of Judah said, judgments, that's not going to come. The people of the Lord, the people of the Lord are we. We are special in ourselves. No. God takes away all haughtiness, all pride. This joy comes from himself and from his pure grace. And so we know the lyrics of his song. The lyrics of a song, children, when someone sings, there's a tune and then there's words. We know the words of this song. They are recorded for us in the book of Ephesians, the verses 3 through 11, in that glorious passage when Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according of his abundant grace has chosen us before the foundation of the world, according to the riches of his grace, and has given his own Son, the Redeemer, to wash away our sins. If you want to know the words of the song, read Ephesians 1, the opening verses. And so we may put it this way. All of God's love, all of God's saving mercy, all of his rich grace converge upon the church and he sings over the church as he has redeemed us in Jesus Christ out of the riches of his own mercy. And yet, though that's true, this is utterly amazing. We say, Pastor, really? Really? He sings over me? Over this smaller body, we think, of the church? He's that enthused about it? You've made some mistake. Perhaps he's singing here over the church of the martyrs, the church of the Reformation where they confessed and were burnt at the stake for Jesus' name. Maybe he's singing about those 
persecuted in India or in Myanmar or North Korea tonight? And the answer is no, no, no mistake. He's singing over Zion, the church on earth, assembled under the word of God. That's what he's singing about. Well, you might say, well, maybe he's singing just about the one holy Catholic church tonight, the church triumphant, which is before his throne. He's singing about the church that has arrived before his throne, the triumphant church. And the answer is, he sure is singing about them. But the response is, no. He's singing about the church on earth, what we call the militant church, the church right here, verse 12, I will also leave in the midst of thee, the church, an afflicted and poor people. That's the militant church. The church being put under trial and testing. He sings over that church. And what is more, we hear the song. We actually hear it. And we hear that song in the preaching of the Holy Gospel. His singing is when we hear the proclamation of the gospel of pure grace in Jesus Christ and salvation in him. And that's why the pulpit of this church and the preaching from this church is so vitally important and what your children are going to hear. You must hear with your children the gospel of the glory of God according to all of the scriptures. In that gospel we hear him sing an amazing song. He takes pleasure. He loves the church. Right here. Psalm 89, 15. Blessed is the people who hear the joyful sound. They will still be praising thee. When we peer down verse 18 we get further information about who he is singing over I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee of the church to whom the reproach of it was a burden he's singing especially over two types of people those who have a love given, but a love for worship. He talks about those who are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. Why are they sorrowful? They're sorrowful because the solemn assembly could not be held in Babylon. Worship has been withdrawn from them. It's not possible for them as they did it in the Old Testament in Jerusalem. And so when there's no worship, they are sorrowful and they lament. He's singing over those to whom worship, to gather and worship, is important. And secondly, he's singing over them, said that verse, to whom the reproach of it, the reproach of Zion, the reproach of the church was a burden. That is, people, when the church is low and troubled. They are troubled. They do not simply say, well, that's not my problem, or in bitterness, that's what they get for being the way they are. 
but over those who, when the church is troubled, they are troubled. I can put it this way. God does not sing over those for whom the worship of the church is a drag, and they drag themselves to church. God does not sing over those for whom the troubles of the church are no troubles of theirs, but for those who love the church and love the worship. So we may say, the verse teaches an amazing song. Follow my words carefully. God, the holy God, with all his being, sings in joy over the church when he sees his own grace in us and when he sees that grace at work in us in love to worship him and in love for his church. And now get the argument of the passage. Verse 16, fear thou not, Zion, let not thy hands be slack. Why? Because God sings over the church. The thrust of the passage to us tonight is, therefore, don't fear anything. Don't fear the future. Don't fear the enemy. Don't fear what further trials and heartaches that may come our way as his children in this world. Do not fear. For he sings over this church. Fear zaps our strength. Fear puts our hands down to our sides. Fear incapacitates us for the work of the Lord in the church. We must serve him. And we must serve him as only they who love him can serve him. And we must serve him in the consciousness of his amazing grace. Perhaps you remember the verse in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? It means this. The fact that you know that God rejoices in you. This is your strength. To know that God rejoices in the church is the strength of elders and deacons to do their work with their eye upon him and with love and compassion for his people. To know that God rejoices over us is the strength of a Christian parent to bring up their children in the nurture of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the compassion and love of Christ in this wicked world, no matter what, no matter what the state may inflict upon us, our strength is the Lord rejoices in us. This is the strength at which we go about our Christian school here the strength to continue humbly, persistently in the good work of our school. This is our strength as a young person in this world to stand 
for godliness, to stand for the name of Christ, no matter how we might be viewed, the only strength for that is to know that God sings in joy, in love over us. This is a salvation song. And that's what we read. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. That's why God is singing. And that's what he's singing about. He's singing about our salvation. And that he saves us. Now Zephaniah here. When he says. He will save. Is describing in this chapter. Salvation. In a little different way. Than what we normally think of salvation. We normally think of salvation. As and correctly so, deliverance from the greatest evil onto the highest good. The greatest evil is sin, and the highest good is God. Salvation is when he delivers us from sin, my sin, and brings us to know God, the true God. But Zephaniah is looking at it a bit different. He describes again, In verses 19 and the verses following in 20, he describes salvation very briefly as having three things to do with it. Salvation of the church is when God judges the church's enemy. Verse 19, behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee. Undo all that afflict thee. That's Babylon. The day is coming that I'm going to judge Babylon who has afflicted my church. The salvation of the church is when God comes in judgment upon the world which has opposed her and persecuted her. So God is saying in the salvation of the church, I am going to deal with this world. I am going to deal with the devil. I am going to judge them. I will save my church through judgment. More, Zephaniah is describing salvation not only as the judgment of the world, but he's saving it as, he's describing it as the gathering of the church to himself out of all nations. I will gather them, the last part of verse 19, out of every land where they have been put to shame. And verse 19, you shall be a praise among all the people of the earth. So God saves his church when he is gathering his church through missions out of every nation. This is his salvation of the church. And then finally, God says he will save the church when he gives his, the church a name and a praise among the people of the earth when he vindicates the cause of his son before the whole world. The whole world which has persecuted the church and the cause of his son. There comes a day that God is going to vindicate that. God's salvation is when he judges the enemies of the church, when he gathers all of the church out of the nations, when he vindicates that his church has stood for his cause in this world. But how does he do that? 
Well, he does that work. And I think we know the answer to that question if we think about it. He does that, of course, through Jesus Christ, that work of judgment and gathering and vindicating the name that's Christ. But it's said this way, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. How will he save? He is in the midst of thee. God saves by being in our midst. Now think about those words, children. He is in the midst of thee. God is with thee. That's Jesus. So God saves the church when the eternal Son of God takes our flesh of the Virgin Mary and is born in Bethlehem and he is in the midst of us. And that he's in the midst of us as the ascended Lord Jesus is not simply that he's in the middle and we're on the outside, but that we are united to him inseparably. He's in the midst of us. And the Lord thy God, Jesus Christ, in the midst of thee is mighty. All things have been delivered into the hand of Jesus Christ. We have been entrusted into his hands, and he is mighty. His was a mighty cross to wash away all our sins. His is a mighty grace. His is a mighty rule. He will save you. He will save this church. He will save his church in the hour of her trial. This is the message. And therefore, do not fear. Do not be seized. Let not your hands be slack. There's a young man in Georgetown Church who's going to be married shortly. But for the last year, year and a half, he's been doctoring for an unknown immunodisease. He was a healthy, athletic young man who enjoyed sports. And slowly he began to wither. He could not eat, he had headaches. It was some kind of disease, but they could not, they could not define, they could not find it. He was a spiritual, he's a spiritual young man. And he had many different tests. And finally, he went to a test which was going to be a painful test. And as the nurse was prepping him, he was despondent and he said, what's the use? He was going to quit. And the nurse simply asked him a question. Are you a man of faith? Are you a man of faith? And in his heart he said, By God's grace I am a man of faith. Therefore, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do God's work in your life. Don't be afraid to confess him. 
Don't be afraid to walk with him. Don't be afraid to build up this church, to love this church. Don't be afraid to preach the gospel in missions. Don't be afraid to be busy with your school. Don't be afraid to live a life of godliness. There may be no slack hands in the church. The last thought that the text gives to us tonight is that Jehovah's song here is really, really a wedding song, a love song. It is a very positive, it is a very upbeat song. The singing that God is referring to in the text is the singing in the custom of that day of the groom who would sing to his bride in the marriage ceremony. In those days, among God's people, if there was going to be singing at a wedding, it would not be done by somebody else, a vocal soloist, but the singing was done by the bridegroom. You might think about that as young men, about your wedding. He would sing from the joy of his heart his vows to his wife. And God is comparing himself to that. That's the comparison he's making. If you open your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter 62, we find... These words, especially now in verse 5, but we need to read verse 4 because God is talking about marriage. Isaiah 62, verse 4, he says to his people, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hepzibah. That means my delight is her. And thy land Beulah, That word means married one. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For, verse 5, for as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee as a bridegroom sings to his bride, so shall God sing over thee. He's not embarrassed. He's not embarrassed to do it. Do you say tonight as a young person, do you say as a single adult, do you say as a young lady, No one delights in me. Do you say the hurts that have been done to me can't be healed? Do you say as a believer tonight the future is too dark for me? Do you say the sins that I have committed are so awful they cannot be forgiven? Do you say my problem is insolvable? 
God says, He sings His song of grace and love over you that He hath betrothed you to Himself. He's singing with joy. You experience it. You know it. He is not singing in a different room. He's not texting you this message, but he speaks to you, not through a cloud and not through a whisper, but by his Holy Spirit in your heart through the word of God as it is preached in the weakness of preaching, the Holy Spirit being present here tonight, and you say, by his grace, yes, I hear him. I hear that word, the amazing word. He rejoices in joy over me. He sings over me. He says he is resting in his love, in his eternal being. God is satisfied in himself, in his love for his people in Christ. He sings over us. God sings over this church and over his church wherever she is. Don't be afraid. Don't have terror. Don't be discouraged. May God give us to hear this song through the faithful preaching that comes from this pulpit, may we hear the sweet sounds of God's sovereign grace. May God drive all fears from our hearts of the future. May God make our hands strong in his work. And may we delight ourselves in God who so graciously and so marvelously delights in us. Amen. Father in heaven, we have again but stammered of the beauty and the depth of thy word. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, how amazing that thou dost see us in Christ. And in thy eternal love, rejoice over us as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Give us strength. Give us to go forward with our eye upon thee and in love for thy church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.